0: Uh, we're in this series, uh, you see the Monopoly stuff around, called Take a Chance, um, and it's all about the, uh, taking a chance that, uh, that we can do something with the resources that we have and make a difference in the world. Last week, we talked about taking a chance with generosity. Anybody be intentionally generous this week? Oh, good, 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 good. Got some. Um, somebody in our life group did as well. It was an incredible story and um, and uh, something I never would have thought of, but they thought of because God was at working in that. Let me just encourage you. Be intentional at being generous. And then if you would, um, tell that story either on video or write it down and, and, and um, put it up on the Dropbox site that I talked about last week. It's in the message. If you want to look at that, um, and uh, that way we can celebrate just what God's doing in a, in a few weeks and uh, be a part of that. That would be great. Um, I don't know if anybody has ever been to Dixon, Illinois. Dixon, Illinois is a city of about 15,000 people in the northwest corner of Illinois. It's the boyhood town of President Ronald Reagan. Uh, Rita Crundle grew up uh, in Dixon, Illinois, on a, uh, actually on a family farm outside of Dixon. Uh, when she was 25, she loved horses, and she began to show horses in contests. She eventually began a breeding operation that became known as RC Quarter Horses, and she experienced incredible success in that business. She became one of the best-known breeders in the country. Her horses won 52 world championships. She was named the leading owner by the American, American, by the American Quarter Horse Association for eight consecutive years. In 1983, when she was 30 years old, Crundell was appointed the treasurer comptroller for the city of Dixon, a position that she held for almost, three, uh, for almost three decades, 30 years. She acquired a sterling reputation in that role. In, in 2011, one of the city commissioners praised Cr- Crundell for her stewardship of city city finances, saying she looks after every tax dollar as if it were her own. But in April 2012, she was fired when it was revealed that she had embezzled more than $53 million from the city over 22 years to support her championship American Quarter Horse breeding operation. On Valentine's Day 2013, Crundle was sentenced to nearly 20 years in prison for stealing city money and treating it as if it were her own. During the time that Crundell was embezzling more than $5 million a year, she forced city departments to make drastic service cuts in order to keep the budget within reason. Employees went two years or more without raises. The police department couldn't buy new radios. The city was forced to lay off three of its nine street repair workers and cut the rate of maintenance on its roads. Does that bother you? Why does that make us angry? Because she took something that didn't belong to her and used it however she wanted without any concern for the people who provided those resources. She took something that didn't belong to her and she used it however she wanted without any concern for the people who had provided those resources. We're in this series called Take a Chance. And last week's challenge was to to take a chance with generosity. Today's challenge is to take a chance with stewardship. To take a chance with stewardship. Uh, What's stewardship? The definition says it's the actions taken by a person who is a steward. Steward. And Now, as soon as I wrote that down, I could hear Mrs. Spiller, my 7th grade English teacher, saying, you can't define a word by using that term in the definition. So, what's the deal? What's a steward? In the, in the Old Testament, a steward was a household servant who managed the, the affairs for the head of the family. Managing the family involved delegation of responsibilities, discipline, encouragement, and most importantly, accountability to the head of the household. So what's a steward look like? For me, in the Bible, the best picture of a steward is the, the character Joseph from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis. If you know who Joseph is, you remember that his dad had four different women that um, gave birth to uh, siblings of his. So he had, he had uh, 10, 10 or more, half brothers, uh, uh, sisters as well. So there there are 12 boys. There's this intense sense of sibling rivalry among them because all the moms want first place with the dad and that gets played out in the kids. It was a messy situation. But Joseph was the favorite of his dad, so much so that his dad gives him this fancy, fancy coat with all these colors and gives it to him and Joseph kind of flaunts it in front of his brothers. When Joseph is young, he has these dreams and in these dreams... uh, as he explains them, it's clear that his, he sees in these dreams that his brothers and his father will someday bow down to him, like worship him. You know, that probably wasn't the best thing for sibling uh, relationships. It didn't, um, it didn't uh, build relationships with his brothers very well at all. That sibling rival rivalry that he experienced almost got him killed. His brothers were so angry with him, they took him out and they were ready to kill him until one brother said, no, let's not kill him. Instead, let's just sell him as a slave. We'll get some money out of it. He'll be gone. He'll be out of our life. We can tell our dad that he's dead and that'll be the end of the story. And that's what happened. So Joseph um, leaves his family, doesn't get to say goodbye to to his father. He leaves everything that he knows and is taken to Egypt where he becomes a uh, a steward for Potiphar. Potiphar buys him, and in Potiphar's house, Joseph comes in and takes over running the household. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be through a whole bunch of Scripture today. If you've got the app out, you can follow along there. You can look on screen either way. Um, In in Genesis chapter 39, 39, um, it describes this role of steward that Joseph has for Potiphar. Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. That's the picture of what a steward looks like. Potiphar says, I got all this stuff, you're in charge, you take care of it. Joseph did, and God blessed him, and Potiphar's business, his household, everything grew. The only thing was Potiphar's wife really liked Joseph. He, he was a foreigner, he was young, he was handsome, and Potiphar's wife said, I want some of that. And, um, and uh, Joseph said, I, how could I do that? How could I do that to God? And so he rebuffs Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife does all kinds of stuff and accuses Joseph of attacking her. Joseph ends up losing his position as steward for Potiphar and ends up being thrown into, into prison. He's there in prison and, and, um, and he's faithful in prison and the prison warden sees what he does in prison and the prison warden begins to give him um, authority in prison. And a little bit later in chapter 39, it says this. You know, this is verse 20, the end of verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So in prison, Joseph has the role of steward again. The prison warden's in charge of everything, but there's this guy on the inside that can manage the personalities, that can make sure that everybody is taken care of. It's Joseph. Joseph. The steward there. While he's the steward in prison, two guys have dreams. They say, man, we have these terrible dreams. We can't, we can't figure out what they mean. Joseph interprets the dreams. God gives him the ability to do that. And he says to one of them, bad news, you're going to die. Um, and he says to the other one, good news, you're going to get restored back to working for Pharaoh, for the king of Egypt. And in three days, both of those uh, interpretations come true. One of them is, one of them is executed, and one of them is restored back into the presence of Pharaoh. Joseph, right before he left, said, hey, remember me here in prison? When you get there, the guy goes back to Pharaoh. He forgets about him. Joseph's stuck there in prison. He's got no hope. He's there. And, and uh, a great deal amount, uh, amount of time goes by until Pharaoh has this dream, and nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He actually has multiple dreams, and he's trying to figure it out, and this guy says, hey, there was this guy in prison? that interpreted my dream. They call for Joseph, they bring him out of prison where he's been a steward. Um, He interprets Pharaoh's dream and says, hey, here's the deal. Egypt is gonna have seven years of incredible wealth, incredible bounty, big crops, all kinds of stuff. And then after that, there's gonna be seven years of desperate famine. Um, And Pharaoh says, what what should we do? And Joseph says, you gotta find a guy that can help manage those years of of plenty so that there's stuff stored away for um, for the seven years of famine, and Pharaoh says, "I think I got the guy in mind. You're him." And in chapter forty one, it says this: chapter forty one, verse forty one. Pharaoh said to Joseph, "I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt." Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph went from a place that was hopeless, a place of desperation where he'd been separated from his family, sold, nearly killed, but he remembered the God that he had been taught about, the God of his great-grandfather, Abraham, his grandfather, Isaac, the God of his father, Jacob. And in each place that he was, he assumed this role of steward for Potiphar, for the jailer, and ultimately for Pharaoh, where he is in charge of stuff that's not his, but he uses it for the benefit of the owner. Um. A steward is someone who manages something that's not his own and is accountable for that management. So what's that got to do with us this morning in DeWitt in 2016? It's this. I want you to understand fundamentally every resource we have comes from God. Every resource we have Comes from God. When you leave today, for most of us, we'll think, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go out to my car, drive my car out, and I'm maybe going to go to a restaurant and buy my food that I'm going to eat for lunch. Or maybe I'm going to drive home to my house and sit in my chair and um, watch my big screen TV football this afternoon. I'm going to do all this stuff with my stuff. We think that that's all ours. Understand, please understand, every resource we have, everything comes from God. David wrote in Psalm 24, the earth, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For God founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. We have lots of incredibly great stuff. We live in a place of plenty. We have, we have more than we know what to do with. Did you know that the fastest growing area of real estate is, is self-storage units? 30% of Americans have self-storage units to store their stuff. We've got all kinds of stuff. James wrote, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights, with whom there is no variation or or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every resource we have comes from God. Our car, our house, our food, our investments, our toys, our treasures, our time, our intellect, uh, all belong to God. Everything is from Him. Secondarily, we are made stewards of those God-given resources. We are stewards, just like Joseph, of those God-given resources. They're not ours. They come from God. But we're placed in charge of them for a season. That started all the way back in creation. In Genesis 2, God has made this incredible place, the Garden of Eden. It's a place with incredible variety and trees and animals and food, all kinds of stuff that's there. And you know what God does in Genesis chapter 2? Verse 15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. He entrusted what He had created to Adam and Eve for them to nourish it, to to be stewards of it. Um, You know, there are warnings for us as stewards. When when we get those two concepts, everything everything we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. And we're made stewards of that stuff from God. They're, that's a scary thing because we're accountable to God for all that we have. Jesus is teaching in, in Matthew 24, and he's teaching about the end of time, when the world is going to end. He says this in verse 45, "...who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time?" That's stewardship, right? "...it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns." It will be good for that servant if he is being a steward when Jesus returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master's staying away a long time. I can do whatever I want. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand that the stakes of our stewardship are really, really high? We're accountable to God for all of the stuff that we have. I want to talk specifically this morning about three resources that God gives us. Three resources. All I can do is just kind of touch on them, but I want your brain to kick into those things to help you understand that God is the one who gives them and that we're called to be stewards of those things. The first is this. Here's the statement I want you to get. It's not your money and it's not your stuff. It all belongs to God. Say that with me. It's not your money and it's not your stuff. It all belongs to God. One more time. It's not your money and it's not your stuff. It all belongs to God. That's hard for us, isn't it? Because we look at that stuff and we think, no, I earned that. That's my stuff. That possessiveness that we have. Um, we think that that we've created that wealth, that stuff, and that we deserve it. It all belongs to God. God said to the nation of Israel, as they left Egypt and are ready to enter the promised land, a a land that was described as flowing with milk and honey, it it was the best place that they could imagine to live. God said this to them, beware for fear that you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Everything that we have comes from God. God is the one who enables us to do anything, to have any of that. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. That stuff is not going to last. Instead, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in or steal. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, "Godliness with contentment is great gain. Nothing for we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world." If you were here last week, I I read a quote from Stephen King after uh, he'd almost died from being hit by a car. And do you remember what he said? He said, "Everybody dies broke." right? Everybody dies broke. No one takes any of the stuff that we have beyond this life. It all belongs to God. It's not your money. It's not your stuff. It all belongs to God. It's also not your time to spend any way that you'd like. Your time belongs to God. That's a hard one for us, isn't it? Because if you pull out your phone and look at your calendar, you say, i got my life planned, right? I've got all of these appointments, all of this stuff. I need to control my time. It's not your time to spend any way you'd like. Your time belongs to God. James wrote this in uh, chapter 4. He said, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and said, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. New International says, making the most of every opportunity. Our time is not our own. It's a gift from God to use for His glory. Do you, do you think that you own your time? I, that's a hard one because we think, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. I, I schedule my time. I put parameters on my calendar to do that. If you think that you own your time... Think about what happens if you leave church today in your car, drive out to 27, and end up in a wreck at Webb and 27. All of a sudden, as you're transported to the hospital and the ambulance, all of the stuff that you had planned is out the window, right? We We don't control our time. If you think you own your time, think about the last time you went to the Secretary of State's office. Or Comcast, right? It's a gift from God. It belongs to God. Your, your money, your time, your talent isn't yours as well. It's not your talent to use or not use, it all belongs to God. It's not your talent. We think that we have the stuff that we have because we're so smart. Because I can do program management. I can do fill in the blank. I have these skills that I can use. And I've developed those skills. They're my skills. And I can do whatever I want with them. It's not your talent to use or not use. It all belongs to God. Peter wrote this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks needs to speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves needs to serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So if it's not your time, if it's not your money, your treasure, it's not your stuff, if it's not your time, if it's not your talent and it all belongs to God, what do you do with that? Um, let me just give you some specific things to help you process that and to help you deal with that, to help remind you of that. Um, I, I want to I talk to you about money for a second. Here's, here's the thing. If, if you come each Sunday, if you come occasionally, whatever, and, and you don't ever put anything in the offering plate, you don't ever give to kingdom stuff, the challenge today is this. Everything that you have belongs to God. All that stuff's there. So I want to encourage you to take a step to just take a step and figure out some gift to give back to God, a financial gift, the, um, the, a, a, great, a great thinking tool to think, okay, what do I give? Do I, just, you know, do I throw a bucket in the plate? Uh, do, I, do I put a 20 in? Do I put, what do I do? Um, whatever you would spend for some, on, on someone you love to take them out to dinner, to, to do a date night with them, to, to celebrate their birthday or the Christmas present. Think about giving that to God one time, just as a reminder that everything that we have is from God. It may be that you come all the time and that, that you kind of, each week when the offering comes, you look in your wallet and say, eh, I got a little bit, oh, okay, I'll throw that in. Um, and you do that, the challenge, the challenge I want to give you today is this, be intentional and deliberate in terms of what you give. Figure out, figure out a percentage and and decide i 'm going to do that every week all the time. that might be one percent, two percent, five percent, ten percent. The tithe is a concept that 's taught in scripture uh, in the Old Testament, especially this sense that a tenth of what of what we have we give back to God a tenth of, of, of what we we make we give back to God as a reminder that it 's all his. Figure out what that percentage is and start to do that. If, if, you're, if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been given, you've been tithing for a long time, it's, you're a habitual giver. Um, that's me. I, I, I started tithing when I was, when I was uh, mowing lawns, 14 years old. You know, I'd, I'd figure that out. Um, here's the challenge. If that's you, if you do that regularly, find a way to give in such a way that, you're, that you think in a fresh way, everything I have comes from God. That may be an extra gift. It may be an increase in terms of what you're giving. I don't know what that is. But do it so that in your head and in your heart, you realize all over again, everything I have is a gift from God. If you've never used your time for God's kingdom, the time to starts now. May, maybe you can use your time that you can set aside some time to go visit somebody in prison or in a nursing home. Maybe you can use your time to invest in some relationships with people who are far from God for the purpose of them experiencing the grace of Jesus for the first time. Maybe you can use your time to find a way to bring hope to broken-hearted people, to help heal people who are wounded because Jesus has done that for you. Your time's not your own. How do you use your time For the kingdom in some way. If you've never thought about using your talent for God's kingdom, figure out a way to give it back to Him and see what happens. Ask Him. Spend some time in prayer today saying, God, you've given me this ability. I don't have a clue how that can be used for the kingdom. Would you show me? Ask ask the question, God, how can you use this ability to fix cars? that you've given me? How can you use this ability that you've given me to teach? How can you use this ability that you've given me to garden or sow or budget or write or write computer programs or police or edit or audit or cook or do program management? If you've never used your, t- your talent for God, give it back to Him and see what happens. You know, any time there's a conviction of a crime of embezzlement, the embezzlement must pay restitution back to its rightful owner. They've got to find a way to make right what they've stolen from the owner. In Rita Crundle's case, everything that she had was forfeited. Her bank accounts, her horse farm, her business, 300 horses... Three homes and a million-dollar motorhome, and more. She went to prison with nothing. They took it all. Why? Because it all belonged to someone else. Understand that as we talk about our our financial resources, as we talk about our talent, as we talk about our time. That we will be accountable to God because it all belongs to Him. We're stewards of what He has given us. In Romans 14, it says this Each of us, so then each of us will give an account of Himself to God. In Luke 16, Jesus is teaching, and He says to His disciples, he tells him a parable. He says, there was a rich man whose manager was ac- accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can't be my manager any longer. And then the parable go, in the parable, Jesus goes on to describe what this guy does with all these people who own the owner significant sums of, of resources or money. He negotiates with them so that when he gets fired, he'll be able to have a job. Afterwards, um, Jesus actually, in a weird way, commends him for, the, for, for being sly and doing that so, that so that he takes care of himself. But this is the way that Jesus ends that parable. He says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Who will trust you with true riches? If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this, and they sneered at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Those last two sentences are piercing. They're piercing to me. Because we live in a culture that's all about attaining, getting control of resources and developing them, having more and having more and having more. You justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So here's the challenge today. Take a chance at stewardship. Take a chance at stewardship. Start to recognize that everything that we have is a gift from God. Everything that we have. Our treasure, our time, our talent, and begin to see how you can use those resources as one of God's stewards to help give back to Him and further His kingdom. Let's pray. God, this is hard because it's so, it is just so contrary to our nature, is contrary to our culture. Lord, for so long, we've heard the voices in our ears saying, we deserve stuff, we own stuff, get more, hold on to it, do whatever you want with it. And God, we recognize that when we take on this whole concept of stewardship, it creates a completely different world for us. When we recognize that everything we have comes from you and we can't hold on to it with a tight fist, it's a game changer. God, we recognize that we are accountable to you. Help us. Help us, we ask, Lord, we plead. Help us see our role as stewards.